I get to turn with me in your Bibles this morning to Romans chapter 6. We're going to be looking at verses 12, 13, and 14 again, but we're going to be focusing this morning primarily on verses 13 and 14. You know, the goal of all biblical teaching, the reason God gave us His Word and revealed to us all of these truths is not just to give us enlightenment, not just to fascinate our minds, not just to make us smart, but to change our lives. God gave us His Word to change our lives. And there comes a time in the, the assimilation of biblical truth when we have come to a place of understanding there always comes a moment of decision when we have to act on what we know. And Paul has been taking us in Romans through an in-depth, very close scrutiny of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. He wants us to fully understand the plan of redemption. When I say Redemption, I mean that in, in the fullest sense of that word. We were lost, we were in darkness, we were blind to the truth, we were dead in our sins and trespasses, and God has intended to redeem us. That means to buy us back, to win us again, to restore and to recover all that was lost. And his goal is not merely that we have our sins cleansed. That is only the necessary preparation for all that he has in mind. Because it is his intention in due time to restore us to that pristine state where we are holy fully, completely restored in His presence, body, soul, and spirit, filled with His presence, and living forever eternally in a family of fellowship and rejoicing and celebration together. Away from the presence of sin, away from the sadness of the world, away from death, pain, sickness, grief, sorrow, depression, sadness, all of those things, we are being redeemed. And it's God's intention to continue that work in our lives from the moment of salvation when it begins until we stand complete in Jesus Christ. When time as we know it has come to an end and the earth as we know it has passed away, and we are in the presence of God in a new heaven and a new earth forever. That's his goal. And Paul wants us to understand that. He wants us to know where we've come from and where we're going and how God is doing it. And in all of Romans 5 and 6, what we have considered thus far is Paul's in-depth assessment and analysis of what has happened in Jesus Christ as an accomplished, finished work at the time of the cross that has been applied to us spiritually. 
We can't see it, we can't touch it, we can't feel it, but we can know that it's true because God says it is. In the Old Testament, and the reason we have an Old Testament is so that we could learn from the experience and the history of the nation of Israel how God works. Peter tells us that those prophets and, and um, writers of the Old Testament prophesied and wrote in such a way as an example to give us illustrations of divine truth that we could come to understand the full meaning of it in Jesus Christ. And that all of the Old Testament, though it is historically true and accurate, I'm not taking away from its history, but it, it points to Jesus. It gives us a picture of God's work in Christ. And God very specifically took the nation of Israel through those shadows of the truth that we could see from their experiences His intended work in our lives. And you remember how as Moses led the Israelites out of the land of Egypt, which we have already alluded to from Romans as the land of bondage and sin, and took them into the wilderness that God gave to Moses on that mountain. In addition to the Ten Commandments, He gave him plans, and He gave him laws for His people, but He gave him plans for a tabernacle. And that tabernacle was to be the dwelling place of God among His people. It had three parts. It had a holy of holies, it had a holy place, and it had an outer court. And that tabernacle was to be the place where God made His presence known in the midst of His people. After the tabernacle passed off the scene, it was David's dream and Solomon's privilege to build a temple. Not a tent, but a, a, a structure of stone and brick and wood that would stand as a citadel for the glory of God. And it was that same temple that was being rebuilt and expanded in the time of Jesus Christ. And it brought the occasion when Jesus said to those who were listening to him on that day as they looked around at this great temple structure, and it had been under construction already for like 40 years. And Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And the Jews who heard him make that statement mocked him and laughed at him and said, this thing has been under construction as long as we can remember. You're going to build it up in three days? John said this, he was speaking of his body. And immediately God makes the connection between the Old Testament shadow and the new revelation, the new reality in Jesus Christ. God did not intend to dwell in a tent made by human hands, but in a tabernacle made by His hands. And that tabernacle is our body. And Jesus Christ was revealing that insight, that spiritual truth. This is the tabernacle about which He speaks. In three days I will raise it up. They would destroy it on the cross. He would raise it in three days. We are to be the dwelling place of God. Our bodies are to be the tabernacle of the living God. We are the containers of the presence of God in this world. 
And it is His intention that we carry Him about, as it were, living testimonies to the presence of God as people interact with us and observe our lives and speak with us and get to know us, that they would come into contact with the living God. Just as people would go to the tabernacle and enter the outer court, and there would be the ceremony and the worship, and they would be awestruck by the solemnity and the glory and the majesty of that place, and they would see the sacrifice, and the priest would go into the holy place where there were the representations that if we studied them closely this morning, we don't have time to do so, you would see that in that holy place there were the, the elements that gave to us a picture of the mind and the will and the emotions, the very core of activity of, of the tabernacle life. And to realize that behind the curtain, the living God dwelt in His Shekinah glory. His manifest presence. But we are those tabernacles. That our bodies are that outer court that other people contact. And, and as we talk with them and share with them and, and show love to them and express to them the heart of God coming from our soul, it, it betrays the reality that the living God in His Shekinah presence is dwelling in the Holy of Holies in my spirit. Paul wants us to, to know this, to understand it. And so he has reminded us in Romans that we have been cleansed, just like they cleansed the elements of the tabernacle. We have been sprinkled with the blood. It has washed away our sin. But it is only preparatory. That's not the end of the story. It's just the, the consecration. It's just the cleansing. God cannot fill a dirty vessel. It has to be clean. That's the cleansing. We have been reminded that Egypt is behind us. We are no longer slaves in Egypt. And in that land of bondage, we have been freed from the law of sin and death. We have been released from its control and grip. Pharaoh's army has been destroyed. And we are liberated to move into the land of Canaan. Paul has reminded us that we have come to life in Jesus Christ. He has not left us dead in the wilderness, as it were, but we have come to life in Him, and we have been raised with Him to walk in newness of life. And he brings us to that decisive moment in verse 12 when he says, Therefore, if, you, if you've gotten a hold of this, you understand this, if you've seen what God has done, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. Don't let sin continue to control you. Don't live like you were still in Egypt. You're not in Egypt. You've been released. Don't live that way. Live a different way. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Friends, we need to recognize this morning that now Paul is bringing us to a moment of decision. You, you've been hearing messages, expounding Romans. I've heard, I've heard you talking. God has been dealing with your heart. He's been opening your eyes. You've been experiencing many things that have stirred you. But today, 
If you're tracking with us in Romans today, the rubber meets the road. Today, decision has to be made. Today, we have to act on everything that we've learned. When Paul says, do not go on presenting the members of your body as instruments of unrighteousness, it implies an amazing thing. As a Christian, you can. As a Christian, as a follower of Jesus Christ, it is possible to go on allowing sin to dominate your life. We don't like to think that. We wish it weren't true. We doubt salvation. We start to wonder what's going on. But it's possible. It is possible to be in Jesus Christ. And particularly if you're not very thoughtful about it, it's possible to just go on living the way you've always lived. The newness of conversion has worn off. A few years have gone by. Life has kind of settled back into going to work, taking showers, getting dressed, mowing the grass, paying the bills, you know, living with a family, living and working with colleagues at work and buying groceries and doing all those kinds of things, putting gas in your car when the wind's blowing and then pretty soon it's going to be cold and that's not going to be any fun. And, <clears throat> and you're just kind of going along. And habits have returned and old patterns of behavior have kind of landed again and you've slipped back into some of the ways that you were hoping would be gone. Because if you don't make a decision, sin will reign. And Paul says, don't go on letting sin reign. You have a choice. It doesn't have to be like that. You have a choice. The word present here, and I want to talk to you about grammar and verbs for just a moment. You don't have to remember the terms, but I do want you to remember the concept. The word present here is used twice in two different ways. It has two different verb tenses. The first one is, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. The verb tense of presenting there is a present imperative. The imperative is a command. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's an authoritative direction. But in the present tense, it means stop doing something that is presently happening. I gave the illustration this morning that you know, if, if I am playing my horn during the hymn, and I'm playing the wrong notes, and I'm out of tune, I'm in the process of playing the music, Russ might turn to me and say, stop playing your horn. In other words, cease and desist. <laughs> You're doing something that needs to end. That's the present tense concept of the imperative of the verb, stop doing what you're doing. Paul is writing to Roman believers. He's heard a lot about them. And just like us, some of them are in this category. They've come to Christ, they've been born again, 
They know forgiveness. They have a relationship with God. But, but sin is still winning most of the battles. Something's happening that needs to stop. And Paul says, stop presenting your bodies to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. It comes as a surprise to many believers that we actually have a choice, but we do. That's what being free in Jesus Christ means. We have a choice. We are not under bondage. We are not under the dominion of sin as a slave to an old master where we have no control. We have a choice. And Paul says, this is your temple. This is your tabernacle. This is your dwelling place, but it was also intended to be God's dwelling place. Don't give it over to sin. Stop doing that. Now notice that Paul did not say stop sinning. And there's a reason why he didn't say that. You can't, you can't stop sinning. We don't have that power. But we do have the power of choice. And the choice is who we give this temple to. That's what it comes down to. And Paul says... Don't go on presenting your body to sin. Don't go on offering yourself to the old way. Stop doing that. And then he says, but present yourselves to God. This is the second use of the same word, but it's not a present imperative it's an aorist imperative. And again, you don't have to remember the terms. I'm not interested in that. But I am interested in the concepts. In the Greek language, whenever a present tense occurs, the focus of the action is on the continuous kind of thing. It, it's, it's on the continuum. It, it's, it's intended to show us motion. But whenever the aorist form is used, it is intended to point to a moment in time and show us a snapshot of action complete. And it's very interesting to me that Paul says, stop presenting your bodies to sin, but he says, present yourself to God. One action. One moment. Make a presentation. The other thing that stands out here is that the imagery of present in the original verb is the image of sacrifice. It calls to mind when those Israelites would go to the tabernacle with a sacrificial lamb and offer it to the priest. And they would come and present their offering. And you know what the priest would do? He would cut its throat, drain the blood, and put the sacrifice on the altar to be burned. That's pretty graphic imagery. The intent here that Paul is driving at is to come to God like a sacrifice. 
And there is no going back. There is no ongoing action, because you can only make that sacrifice one time. There's no going back. Come and present yourselves to God. Give Him your your tabernacle as those alive from the dead. You know, the amazing thing about us is we can be a living sacrifice. You know, Jesus took the death that we might have the life. There is a death for us too. But that death is to our ways, our goals, our desires, our ambitions, our plans and our purposes. As we come and offer ourselves on the altar, we are a living sacrifice. And God's intention is to raise us up. And in the Old Testament, once that tabernacle was assembled and all the parts had been sprinkled with the blood and it had been set apart and dedicated to God, you know what happened? They had a a big assembly of dedication and, and the tabernacle was complete and they basically got together and said, God, here it is. We've followed your plan. Here's your tabernacle. And the Bible says that the Shekinah glory of God, Shekinah is that manifest presence of God. Do you know the manifest presence? Do you know the difference? God is here right now. He is omnipresent. He is here right now. He is also present down the street in the liquor store, and He's present in the grocery store, and He's present along the highway. He is omnipresent. But sometimes we become acutely, palpably aware that He is here. And to the greater or lesser extent that we sense His presence, to that extent is His Shekinah manifest. He makes Himself known. It's not just the awareness, oh God is present, it's the, oh. God is present because we know it. And that pillar of cloud that followed them by day and and, and led them by day and the pillar of fire that led them at night, as that tabernacle was dedicated to God, that pillar that represented the Shekinah presence of God came and stood over the tabernacle and descended upon it And God came into the Holy of Holies in His manifest presence and He filled the place. And the people bowed low and worshipped because God had filled His tabernacle. And in the revivals in the Old Testament when Solomon dedicated the temple and when Josiah had a revival and, and recommitted the temple and the presence of God would come and fill that place and the people were filled with awe because he had come to dwell in his temple. Paul says, I want you to come and present your bodies to God that he might fill this temple. I want to say to you this morning that this is the second most important decision you'll ever make in your life. And it is a decision. The first most important decision you will ever make 
is to turn to Jesus Christ from your sin and turn to Him and allow Him to cleanse you and forgive you and be your Lord and Savior. But now that you have walked with Him for a while, now that you have come to know, now that you understand all of this teaching in Romans and all that God has done for you in Jesus Christ, there's another decision. And that decision is to consciously, deliberately, purposefully come to the altar and give yourself to God as a living sacrifice and and invite Him to fill your life with His presence. He is living in you. And when you are filled with the Spirit of God, it's not that you get more than you already have, but He gets all of you. As He floods your life with His manifest presence. Lest you say, well, I've done that, and it didn't do anything for me. I've made that choice. Paul says, I don't want you to be casual about this. I don't want you to be flippant. I want you to think about what this means. Because he adds, and your members as instruments of righteousness. In other words, don't just come to God and say, God, you can have my life. You can have my life. I invite you. Take my life. Paul says, wait a minute. What do you mean by that? Bring him your body, but think about what you're doing. Let him have every part. Have you given your mind to God? Is it devoted as an instrument of His? Does He have your mind? Do you allow Him to direct your thoughts? Do you allow Him to govern what you learn, what you study? Do you allow Him to govern what you read, what you assimilate, how you think about it? Do you bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ? Does does He dwell in your mind? Is it His instrument? How about your eyes? Have you devoted your eyes to Him? Have you given your eyes to God? Does He have them that, that through that window of your soul He can show you what is of concern to Him? And at the same time, he can avert them when you would gaze where it's not wise. Does he have your eyes? Does he have your ears? Do you allow the Holy Spirit to govern what you hear? Do you turn away from those things that he says, you don't need that? Does he have your tongue? Some of you need to learn to stop talking. Some of you need to start talking. You're too timid. You're not bold. You need to have courage to speak your convictions. Do you allow the Holy Spirit to govern your tongue? Is it His instrument? James tells us if any man can bridle the tongue, he is a master. The tongue is like a world of iniquity. It's like a little match that starts a forest fire. 
The tongue is an amazing instrument that is essentially uncontrollable outside of the presence of the Holy Spirit. But it's not impossible. God can control your tongue. Does he own it? Does it belong to him? Does he have your hands? You know, when the Jews prayed, they prayed lifting up holy hands to God without wrath and doubting. That's what Paul says to do in 1 Timothy chapter 2. That lifting up holy hands is, is a symbol of, our, of the engagement of our energies and our work. These hands belong to God for his work. Does God have your hands? Does he have your feet? They carry you where you go. Does God have control of where you go? Is he in charge of your, of your choices? Does he make the decisions about where you step and where you enter and where you depart and what you do? Have you given God your ambitions? Have you surrendered to Him your goals? Have you allowed Him to have your security? You see, many people have heard about an abundant life. They've heard about fullness in Jesus. They've heard about the promises that He's offered. <laughs> and they don't experience it. And they, they wonder why. But Jesus' offer to us, while legitimate, is always contingent upon our surrender. You cannot have all of God in your life if you are keeping part of it back for yourself. You can't do that. If you're holding on, you've shut Him out. Somewhere you have closed the door and you have not allowed his spirit to enter that place. And so Paul says, this, this is not a mindless act. I want you to make a conscious choice. I want you to make a deliberate commitment. And I want you to think about what it means. I want you to uh, take inventory of all of your features of all of your members, of all of the parts of you. And I want you to offer it to God. Present it once and for all on the altar and take your hands off and let God have it without question. God, this is yours. I give it to you completely. Have you done that? You know, it's an interesting thing about God. The devil is a usurper. Besides righteousness and holiness and, and evil and wickedness, there is a major difference between God and Satan. Satan is a usurper. He is a destroyer. He is a sneaky thief. He is a liar and a deceiver. And, and he will trap you and take everything he can and, and worm his way into every nook and cranny of your being to gain hold and keep you in the clutches of his bondage. But the Holy Spirit of God will abide in the holy of holies of your life, in the core of your spirit, and wait for an invitation to move into all the realms of your life. He will not usurp. He will not elbow his way in. He will not kick down the doors and take control. 
he asks, may I come in? That room, that place. May I have your eyes? May I use your mind? May I have your tongue? It's your choice. If you want to know the fullness of the Holy Spirit, what it's like to have Him permeating your being, then you have to surrender to Him all the areas that He can fill. And to the extent that you keep doors shut and and windows closed, and to the extent that you hold back to that extent, He is barred. And you cannot be said to be filled with the Spirit if you are shutting Him out of areas of your life. And so Paul says it's time to make a decision. You've heard a lot. You've had the depths of redemption explained to you and all that is possible. The next step is to take action. Make a choice. Present yourselves like a sacrifice, once and for all, on the altar, and take your hands off and let God have your life and all of its parts. Take inventory and offer them up to Him. Invite Him to move in to those areas and have control. Surrender to God. And to the extent that you are missing out on the abundant life, to that extent, is something being held back from the Spirit of God. God's not playing games with us. He's not mocking us. He's making a legitimate offer. I'll fill you. I'll fill you to overflowing. Drink from my well and out of your innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But you've got to let me clean out the blockages. You've got to let me open the floodgates. You've got to let me possess you. You've got to let me fill you before it will flow out of you. You have to allow that. And he won't take it from you unless you offer it freely. It's time for decision. Have you made that decision? Have you given your bodies and all of its members to God as a living sacrifice for his use? I'm going to ask you to take just a few moments this morning. I'd like to ask you to bow your head. Just close your eyes just so you can shut out everything around you. Allow the Holy Spirit of God to turn the light of His presence on your life and ask Him to take inventory with you. Have you made that total commitment? Father, we wait in Your presence for Your work this morning. We've come to a time where we have to choose. We've heard all the wonderful things that you can do. But before we can experience them, we must give you control. 
I want to lead us in a prayer of commitment. And where you sit with your eyes closed, your head bowed, in the quiet of your heart, if you want to make this commitment, I encourage you to pray in your heart and spirit with me. Heavenly Father, today I want to give you my life as a living sacrifice. I want to take my hands off of it. I want to place it on the altar once and for all and leave it there. And I specifically give you all of my members and invite your control in my mind. You can have my mind and use it for your glory. You can have my ears to hear the cries of a lost world and to turn away the garbage that pollutes my soul. I give you my eyes to see what you want me to see. I give you my tongue. Control the deeds of my flesh and carnal passions in speaking my mind when I need to keep my peace. Give me boldness by your Spirit to speak without shame the message of Jesus. I give you my hands for your service and my feet to carry me where you want me to go. I give you my body as a living sacrifice and I invite you to fill me through and through in every part, with your Spirit. I surrender to you today the control of my life and invite you to take the reins. I want to be filled with your Spirit. I want rivers of living water to flow out of me. I want people to meet me and touch the living God. I want to bring Jesus wherever I go. I want to make him known by my very presence as he lives through me. Fill me to the outer core, to the very edge, to where I glow with your presence. And I give you control for that purpose. Father, I pray for everyone in this room that has prayed that prayer this morning. And I pray that in the weeks and months to come, we will hear the testimonies, see the difference, experience the reality of your Shekinah glory in the lives of your people. Move upon us, O God, that we might be spirit-filled in all that that means. I ask it for the glory of Jesus Christ and in his precious name. Amen.